All right, Hebrews chapter 8, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read all the way through verse 13. It says, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by the Lord, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises." For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern For them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you uh, for the ministry of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that it is much more excellent. Lord God, we thank you that you will be merciful towards our iniquities and remember our sins no more. Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Father God, I just want to pray for this congregation as we stand before you, as we sit before you and hear the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that you would bless us with it. Father, I pray that you'd bless us with uh, ears to hear and eyes to see and and then bless us with minds and hearts to be obedient to the word as we hear it. Father, I pray for Pastor Steve as he gets ready to declare the word to us that you would bless him and bless his ministry to us. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. One of the things my children, um, my family, does with me is we go and we visit historical homes. I, I really enjoy looking at old houses, um, old homes, like historical landmarks. I think most of my kids and my, most of my family enjoys it as well. Um, and so we, we've, we've seen a lot of them. We've been to, um, uh, we've been to Mount Vernon. Um, a couple of us have, anyhow. Mount Vernon, where George Washington lived. Um, we've been to Peacefield, where John Adams lived. We've been to the Betsy Ross house, where I suppose Betsy Ross lived. We've been a lot, like a lot of those places, and we go in, and and they're very interesting places to to visit. They're very interesting places to visit, um, but I would not want to live there. They're 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 fascinating. They make great tourist attractions. You can learn a lot walking around those places. Uh, but I would not want to live there. 
You, 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 and I would not want to live back then. Carl Truman's one of my favorite uh, historians, teachers, um, and uh, he's an expert on the Reformation, like Martin Luther and all that, and he's an expert on it. And someone said to him, what, what decade would you love to live in? He goes, this one. <laughs> I want to live in this one. Everybody was sick back then. Everybody was sick all the time. Um, it's just like you, you go to George Washington probably had one of the nicest houses in America in the 1700s, but there's no turning the faucet on and getting hot water. There's no toilets. There's no air conditioning. I don't know if you thought about this, but no toilets and no air conditioning is a bad combination. There's no microwave. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no electric light. There's no Wi-Fi. There's, there is no, you, I wouldn't be able to live there. Fun to visit. Super fun to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. And that's, and that's one of the nicest houses from the 1700s. Fun to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. The author of Hebrews is saying to this little church, as we're walking our way through the book of Hebrews, we're hearing in a bunch of different ways. The author of Hebrews is saying to the, this little church, he's saying, he's saying, courageously, and joyfully and faithfully commit yourself to Jesus Christ. Trust Him. Follow Him. Do not turn back. He knows that they're going to be under immense pressure to go back to the old way of living. To the, to the old covenant. To the, to the Old Testament. They're going to be, there's going to be so much pressure for them to go back. And so He is saying, don't do it. Stick with Jesus. And he says, in verse 13, he says, that old covenant is vanishing right before your very eyes. He says in verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he is, he, he makes the first one obsolete. We talked about that last week. It's, it's obsolete. It's invalid. And then he says, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He's saying, what he's saying is, it's vanishing before your very eyes. Not only is it completely invalid, it just will not work anymore, but pretty soon you're not even going to have the option. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be gone. The old covenant, the law that God gave Moses, the, the promise that God gave Moses that if, that if the people would keep the law, he would keep them in his care, he would be their God, they would be his people. If they could keep the law, that old covenant is vanishing and it's okay because the new covenant is way better. It's, I mean, it's... It's neat to look around the Old Covenant, right? It's, if, you, if you want to learn some stuff, if you want to go and you want to, you want to learn some things and, and you want to kind of, you, 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 it's, it's fine to go and to check it out, but you don't want to live there. It's fascinating. It helps us to think about, it helps us to, to, to kind of learn some stuff and to, to think better. There's all kinds of, it's, it's kind of cool, but you don't want to live there. In fact, you can't live there. You can't live there anymore. And you wouldn't want to even if you could. It's a historical artifact. And that's okay because the new covenant is better. So that's what he's going to prove in today's verses. The new covenant is better. Now, how is he going to prove that? He's going to say two big things. There's there's two big parts to the sermon. There's two big parts to this chapter. First, he's going to say, look at the one who guarantees the new covenant. 
That's the first thing we're going to see. Look at the one who guarantees the new covenant. And then he's going to say, look at what the new covenant guarantees. So you have, you have two parts here. Look at the one who guarantees the new covenant, and then look at what the new covenant guarantees. First, the, the one who guarantees the new covenant. Let's look at the one who guarantees the new covenant. This will be in verses 1 through 5. This is the first proof that the new covenant is better. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. A covenant, a deal, a contract, an agreement, it's only as good as the people who make it. The old covenant fell apart, and that's not because God dropped His end of the deal. He kept His end, but because of His people. His people did exactly what we would have done if we had been there. They failed to keep their part of the deal. They failed to keep their part of the covenant. This is what makes the new covenant so much better. In the new covenant, Jesus is the one who keeps our part of the deal. Our salvation rests completely on Him. Chapter 7 said, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. We are not, we, we are not um, obliged to keep our end of the deal. Jesus is keeping it for us. How did He do that? Hebrews 1 says, after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus has made purification for our sins. This is how He has guaranteed this better covenant. He pays for our sins. He washes us clean, and then He sat down. It was over. It was done. It was finished. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the, so the author of Hebrews wants to prove to his readers that the new covenant is better. And so he's saying, look at the one who has guaranteed it. Look at him. Look at him. Look at the one who on the night when he died said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to bleed and die so you can have this new covenant. Look at the one who guarantees this new covenant. He says in verses 1 and 2, now the point in which, in, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Look at him, the author of Hebrews says. And what the author of Hebrews is fascinated by, and we've seen this a little bit over the last well, several chapters, really. But what the author of Hebrews is fascinated by is that Jesus is both parts of Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is this... It would have been very hard for the, for the person who lived in David's day to know, even for David himself, to know what exactly he was talking about when he wrote Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a fascinating psalm. And it's all about this king who would come. It's this, it's this glorious king. The Lord says to this king, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion a mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. He's going to shatter chiefs over the wide earth. So there is this king of kings, this Lord of lords who is going to come and he's going to rule everywhere forever. So we get that. But Psalm 110 does something weird. In the very middle of it, Psalm 110 just kind of throws in there in verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind, 
you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there is this glorious king who's coming. I mean, he is a, he is an amazing king. His enemies are going to be his footstool. He's going to execute judgment. He is the king. And he is the priest. He is the one who forever ministers on behalf of his people. That's what the author of Hebrews is drawing our attention to this morning. He he ministers on behalf of his people. He is the one who makes intercession for us. Right now, he prays for us. He is our advocate. Do you understand that this morning? Do you understand that right now, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is interceding for you? If you are in Christ, then Jesus is praying for you. He is advocating for you. He is interceding for you. His his payment for sins was full and final. When He paid for our sins on the cross, He paid for them. It's over. And God the Father showed that that payment was good enough by raising Jesus from the dead. And so now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but He's not just sitting there. He's not just saying, I've done it. I'm the king, bow before me. What is Jesus doing? He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. He's our advocate. He's faithfully serving his people as their priest even now so that we will have mercy and grace to to help us resist temptation so that our prayers will be answered so that we can finish our race with joy. What kind of king is this? Who does this? Who else does this? What other kind of king gladly serves his people like this? His enemies are his footstool, and he is gladly serving his people. If you're going to get a good look at the one who guarantees the covenant, if you're, going to, if you're going to get a good look at how good the covenant is, rather, you have to get a good look at the one who guarantees the covenant. And I've got a little side note for you. I've got a couple side notes built into the sermon. They're kind of like, well, I was going to say, they're kind of like um, bonus features on a DVD, but I realized that nobody younger than me knows what a DVD is. And so I was like, I'm not even going to use that illustration. So if you're younger than me, you just have to figure out your own illustration, because I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. I was trying to think of something cool and relevant. And I was like, nope, I'm old. I'm not cool. I'm not relevant. Um, so you're on your own illustrating this. Anyhow, I want to stop real quick and say as a side note, if you have been given a leadership role by God, if, if you've been granted a position of leadership and authority from God, so if that's true of you, and if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to live like Jesus, this gives us a good idea of of what kind of leader Jesus wants us to be. Jesus wants us to be the kind of leader who faithfully serves his people. I I think that we can 
we, we, we must, if we are leaders, right, if we have been given leadership responsibility, we must see ourselves as leaders, as people who are, who are accountable for the way that we lead whoever God has entrusted us to lead. We have to think of ourselves as leaders. But if we're going to do it like Jesus does it, we also have to think of ourselves as servants. As, as people who, who faithfully, faithfully serve our people. Look for the good of our people. Lay down our lives for the benefit of our people. Because that, that's the side note. That was free. Back to the regular scheduled program. If you're going to see how good the covenant is, you have to look at the one who guarantees it, and you have to see he is the king of kings, his enemies are under his footstool, and he is, and he is serving as a priest forever. But then you also have to see where he is. You have to see where he is. Verse 2, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So if Jesus was a priest on earth, he actually wouldn't be allowed to because he's not from the tribe of Levi. He's not from the family of Aaron. He he would actually be breaking the law of Moses if he was to try to serve as a priest. But he's not on earth. Verse 5, they, those priests, they serve a copy of, and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Fascinating. So Jesus is not a minister here on earth. He is a minister in the true tent. Now that's not to say that when the Old Testament priests did their service in the Old Testament, tabernacle or even in the later days in the Old Testament temple, that's not to say that that what they did wasn't good, that that tent wasn't good. It was what God wanted for that time. But it wasn't the true tent. Which means it wasn't the eternal, heavenly dwelling place of God. It was a picture of it, but it wasn't it. So, so back in the book of Exodus, God took Moses up on a mountain and he showed him Um, something of the heavenly dwelling place of God. Moses, or God showed Moses more than he showed anybody else. And then he commanded Moses to construct the the tabernacle according to that pattern that he saw. So, so when Moses constructed the tabernacle, it was just a, a shadowy copy of the eternal heavenly dwelling place of God. It was, just a, it was just a shadowy copy. The, the tabernacle on earth, the priests on earth, the priesthood on earth, all fading away. But Jesus will never fade away because his tent is the true tent. It's the eternal dwelling place of God himself. And it's going to last forever. So, so the author of Hebrews is saying, the new covenant is better. And if you want proof... You look at the one who guarantees it. He is the King of Kings. He is the faithful, eternal priest for his people, and he ministers in the eternal, heavenly dwelling place of God. 
Look at the one who guarantees it. And then, you want proof that the new covenant is better? Not only look at the one who guarantees it, but number two, look at what the new covenant guarantees. Starting in verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them, um, or it could be that he finds fault with it, when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And so, and so there's, a, there's a need for a new covenant because the, the old covenant rested on the people's ability to keep it. And so it was only ever going to um, last for so long. And that one is now obsolete. And it is vanishing away. But that's okay, because the, the new covenant is coming. Verse 9, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So this is for those who are in Christ. This is for all of those who are in Christ. This is the new covenant that now God is making with His people. Verse, chapter 7, verse 25 said, All of those who draw near to God through Jesus Christ are saved to the uttermost. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. It's about being saved to the uttermost. And so this covenant is a big part of what it means to be saved to the uttermost. Look at what we have. Look at what God promises us. All who are in Christ. Look at what this covenant guarantees what God promises us. If you're going to see the new covenant is better, you have to look at what it guarantees. First thing the new covenant guarantees, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. What is God saying? He's saying God Himself is going to change our hearts. God is going to take our, our hard hearts and He's going to give us soft hearts. He's going, to, he's going to regenerate us. We are going to be born again. We're going to be new people. He's going to change us from the inside out. And this is, this is something that was not promised in the Old Covenant. And this is the only way we can believe the Gospel. This is the only way we can love and, and obey His Word. This is the only way we can truly live for Him. God must give us new life. And He does. Through Jesus, He gives us new life. By the way, this is, this is why we have concerns about people who don't love the Word of God. This is why when, when Mary was talking about her own salvation testimony, she looks back and she's like, I, I didn't love Jesus. This is a, a warning sign to her. This is troubling. She goes, there's a difference. When I became a Christian, there was a, there was a difference. Jesus wasn't on the shelf anymore. He's my Savior. He's my King. I want to live for Him.
is why we have concerns. If someone says they are in Christ, there's, there's no love for his word. Makes us wonder. And then on the flip side of that, the positive side of that, this gives us who are in Christ great hope when we are facing temptations. We, we believe that as Philippian, Philippians 1 says, that, that He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we believe that we didn't change our own hearts at the outset. We didn't start this good work. We didn't give ourselves this. And we don't have to keep ourselves in His grace. And, and we don't have to get ourselves to the finish line. God is going to do it. He, he's going to bring us to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He began the good work. He's going to finish it. This gives us great hope when we're facing temptations. Yes, we can resist temptation. Yes, we can grow in godliness. Yes, we can fight against sin. Yes, we can do it because God has started a good work in us. He has written this love for His Word into us. He has changed us from the inside out. I have another side note here. This is my, this is my second and final side note, unless I have more. But this is, this is the only pre-planned side note left. I want you to, because what we have to remember, right? What we have to remember is that, yes, God is the one who started this good work. God is the one who is going to drag our silly carcasses across the finish line in the end. Yes, this is a work from start to finish of the grace of God. Yes, but we also know from Scripture that we are called to work hard. We are called to fight against sin. We are called to pursue holiness. We are called to take responsibility for our actions. We're called to, to meditate on the Word of God. We're called to get after it. So we understand both of those things are just true in Scripture. We don't need to, we don't need to use any of them to, to erase the other. And so look at this verse again. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I say all that just to remind you that once again, there is, a, there is a strong connection between the mind and the heart. God works on our hearts through our minds. It matters greatly what we think about. Please, let's never be the kind of people that just say, you know what, I'm not really into theology, I just really want to love God. Please don't say that. That's like saying, I'm not really into oxygen, but I love, I just want to breathe. That's what it is. Because, because over and over and over in the Bible, God says there is a, there is a connection between what we put into our minds, what we meditate on, what we think about, and, and what's happening in our hearts. So if you are struggling for joy and courage and contentment, then we ask ourselves, am I committed to studying and thinking and applying the Bible? That's it. That's the second, second side note. Do with it as you will. And by do with it as it will, I mean take it to heart. All right. Back to the, back to the sermon. That's the first thing this new covenant guarantees. That God is going to write his laws into our minds, write them into our hearts. What else is a guarantee? Starting in the end of verse 10, it says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. You thumb through the pages of the Old Testament and you see there are lots of people who lived 
sort of under the political covenant with God. They were a part of Israel, but they weren't a part of Israel. Right? They were, they were, they were in, but they were not in. There were, there were people who, they knew about God, they, 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 they knew the stuff, but they didn't know God. And it was clear from the way that they lived. We, we see that in some of the sad chapters, sad stories of the Old Testament. There were people who, who they were technically, politically, geographically part of the people of God. But they didn't know God. This is not true in the New Covenant. Those who are in Christ are going to know Him. They're going to know Him. And I love this. They shall all know Me from the least of them to the greatest. I don't know... <laughs> I don't know what... where. If, okay, so if there's, a, if there's a spectrum, right? If there's a... If there's a um, If you're thinking of all the Christians that you know, all the people who are in Christ, and there's a spectrum there of of there's the least, there's the least, and there's the greatest. I don't know who you think the greatest of those who are in Christ is. I don't know. I don't know what you think of by that. And I don't know if you think of yourself as one of the least. And I don't know why you would think of yourself that way. I don't know. I don't know. I know that we we all have different personalities. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different um, physical limitations. We we all have have different levels of education. We all have we all have um, very different stories, very different personalities, very different bodies. I don't know who you think you are. Are you the least? Are you the greatest? I'm going to assume most of us are thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm the greatest. Yeah. We probably see ourselves as the, the other end. The wonderful thing, you can, you can say, my, my backstory doesn't matter. My, my growing up years doesn't matter. The way people have treated me doesn't matter. My, my, whether I'm good at certain things or not doesn't matter whether I whether I'm this or that whether my personality is really outgoing or whether it's not whether, whatever everyone in Christ will know me God says I will be their God and they will be my people so this is wonderful good news for us if we're making excuses for why we can't be lifelong learners of God's word or why we can't know God the way other people do it's just not true Everyone in Christ knows God. You don't need to to ask me to help you get a prayer through. You on a desert island, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, you'd be fine. You can know God. You can know God. Because of this, each of us can grow in our knowledge of Him. And please listen carefully. Because we can grow in knowing God, we can grow in our joy in Him, in our love for Him, in the contentment and wisdom that only He gives. 
This was not promised in the Old Covenant. This is something we only have because Jesus has shed His blood for us. Is there anything greater than knowing God? I'm gonna have, I, have a, I have a few questions for you just to don't raise your hand or answer out loud. Um, just think about these in your head. I thought about these questions this week. It was really good for my soul. Hopefully it will be for yours as well. Is, is God who, who the Bible says he is? Is he sovereign, completely wise, always good, perfectly holy, the creator of the universe? Is, is that who God is? And, and is God going to keep his people safe and happy forever? Even if they physically die here on earth, are, are we going to be safe with God forever? And, and are, we going to be, are we going to experience eternal joy in His presence? Is God worthy of all of your praise? Is that who God is? And then, and then is He your God? Does He know you by name? Does that God love you because Jesus spilled His own blood on your behalf? And if we've answered yes to those questions, then, then can we not face anything with contentment and courage and joy? In this new, better covenant, God has guaranteed that He would change our hearts. And He has guaranteed that all those who are in Christ, he, for, for, for all those who are in Christ, He would be our God and we would know Him. And then finally, verse 12, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. How is it? How is it that this is all possible? Because He has He has completely forgiven us. He has completely forgiven us. This is the new covenant that we can only have because of the blood of Jesus. Those words, no more, in verse 12, are big words. I will remember their sins no more. God will never, if you are in Christ, God is never ever going to hold your sin against you. Ever. Here we get to the heart, the the culmination of the new covenant. We are forgiven. My main problem is my sin. Your main problem is your sin. The, the, The new covenant cuts right to the heart of the problem. My main problem is not what has happened to me. My, my, my main problem is not what people have done to me. My main problem is not the limitations I have been born with or developed over time. My main, my main problem is not anything that has happened to me. My main problem is my sin. What I need more than I need anything else is forgiveness. I need to be forgiven. I need to know deep inside that my sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, not just part of my sin, not just the part that everybody else knows about, but my sin, all of it, the whole of it, all of it, 
is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. There have been a few times over the last couple of minutes that I really want to start preaching next week's sermon. The problem with that is I haven't written it yet. I mean, there's other problems. But next week, we're going to talk about not only... Not only is there forgiveness in Christ, but, but he, uh, he purifies our conscience as well. Not only does He forgive us, but He helps us to know we are forgiven. It's the real deal. But I'm not going to preach that right now. Preach that next week. You want proof that the new covenant is better? You look to the Word of God and you see that because because of Christ, because Christ said on the night when He was betrayed, this, this blood, this cup, this blood I'm about to spill is the new covenant. I'm going to, to pay your way. You could not get there. I'm going to do it for you. And then God in His great grace gives us new hearts. New, he, he causes us to be born again. He says, we're done saying, well, I was born that way. Oh, you were born again. You have a new heart. He, he started a good work in you. He's going to bring you home. We're done with excuses. We're done saying, well, yeah, they, they, they know God in a way I don't. No, we're done with that stuff. He is our God. We belong to Him. He has given us a new heart. And He has forgiven our sin. This is what we have if we are in Christ. I pray that you are in Christ. I pray that you have believed the Gospel. And as always, if you want to talk about that, you want to come and talk about that with me after the service. And I, I, I like to always say, I don't yell this much in a, in a personal conversation. If I'm, if I'm a foot away from you, I will not yell like this. And I, don't, I don't even use my hands this much. I can keep in my pockets. I can do all kinds of stuff. Alright? You will be physically safe. There's not, there's, there's, there's nothing more important than the question, am I in Christ? Because if we are, we, the, 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 the new covenant is, it's better. And we see that as we look at the one who guarantees it, and then we look at all that it guarantees. He's going to be our God. We are going to be his people. The least to the greatest, wherever you put yourself on the spectrum, We will know Him. And He's going to remember our sins no more. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your Word. There's so much in here. There's so much in here. We thank You for what You gave us time and energy to consider this morning. We, we pray, God, that as we, as we think 
about the, the work that you have done in us. We pray that you would help us to be more and more and more desirous and, and intent on living our lives for your honor and your glory. Help us, God. In Christ's name, amen.